At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. It's my vision and goal as I aspire to inspire before I aspire that the next fire chief, whenever that day come, come from within the Austin Fire Department. Our fourth priority is facilities, equipment, and technology. Uh, we're doing a lot of renovation to the station. We're putting an additional bathroom, restrooms in the facility for our female employees, as well as uh, people in the community come in. They can have a place to use the restroom. We renovate a lot of stations, bringing them up to speed, making them better to live in for our firefighters. Uh, we make sure we have the stations in the right places, in the right location. We're building five new stations here over the next five years, by 2025. Our fifth priority is customer service, uh, which enhances our internal customer service, well, our external customer service. And of course, the last thing is peer program. Make sure we have public information, public education, public relations. I don't know how much time I have, but I got about a thousand other things I say about what we're trying to get done. Austin, Texas Fire Chief Joel G. Baker. After more than 30 years with the fire department in Atlanta, Georgia, including serving as fire chief there, Baker is now Austin's first African-American fire department chief. As you can hear, he has big plans for the department in the coming years. He has six priorities. Among them, staffing and hiring a workforce reflective of the city. He wants to let people know that the Austin Fire Department is not a job, it's a career. In 2013, Department of Justice officials found evidence that Hispanic and African Americans were discriminated against during the hiring process and that they were less likely to be hired because of how the Austin Fire Department ranked eligible applicants. In 2014, the Austin City Council approved a settlement with the Justice Department to unsuccessful firefighter applicants for back pay and to set aside 30 new hire positions for African-American and Hispanic candidates. I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Austin, Texas Fire Chief Joel G. Baker in Black America. I was fortunate enough to be able to meet about five or six of those first firefighters hired in 1963 because they was there when I was there. And I was they was able to sit me down and talk to me about some do's and don'ts of the fire service. And I, to this Can day, I'm very Can you express some of those do's and don'ts? Yeah. Uh, everything's not about black and white. It's about wrong and right. Don't walk around with a chip on your shoulders. Don't be always angry. Study hard. Study, study, study. Don't fall don't get hoodwinked on the job. Go to school. Get your degree if you want to get to the next level. Go to paramedic school. Become an EMT, immersive medical technician mm-hmm. or paramedic. Because they saw that the fire department was changing, changing from fighting fire to doing more medical call. Get 
certification that you can use to enhance your knowledge, skills, and abilities, such as hazardous material, confined space, uh, water rescue, get some specialties up under your belt. Don't be complacent on the job. Move around within the organization. You know, go to a staff position. And I did. I went to training. I went to an Office of Professional Standards, or known as Internal Affairs. Austin Fire Chief Joel G. Baker is on a mission. His mission is to make the Austin Fire Department one of the best in the nation. The Austin Fire Department is the fourth largest fire department in the state of Texas and is responsible for an area of 272 square miles. In 1952, the department employed three African-American firefighters, the first African-Americans to be hired under the civil service law in the state of Texas. The three were Willie Ray Davis, who retired as captain, Nathaniel Kenrich, who died of a heart attack in 1977 while at a fire scene, and Roy D. Green, who resigned. In the early 1970s, Marvin Douglas became the first African-American fire inspector in the state. In December 2018, Joel D. Baker was sworn in as the first African-American fire chief with the city of Austin. His appointment as chief marks a significant milestone in the city's leadership. Recently in Black America spoke with Chief Baker in studio. I was born and raised in the city of Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, that is. And I spent all my life there, except for my short time in the military. I joined the Marine Corps about six days after graduating from high school. And after I left the Marine Corps, came back to Atlanta, joined the Navy Reserve, stayed with the Marines, but as a Navy corpsman, and I started my fire service career. Tell us what it was life like growing up in Atlanta. Were you in a segregated part of the city as we as, know it today? As we know it today, yes, yes, for the most part. But now the community I grew up in has been gentrified, was, I think mm-hmm, the term of gentrification. Mm-hmm. But I had a wonderful child life, childhood. No complaints whatsoever. Brothers and sisters? Had one brother. No biological sisters, but I have some young ladies in my life we consider ourselves to be brothers and sisters. Who were some of the influences of, of your early life? Ah, well, that's a very good question. I would say there was two major influence, well, actually three. My mother, very important in my life, major influence, and my great aunt, who I call Auntie, she was a major influence. Because my aunt was very engaged in the civil rights movement. And so I remember singing We Shall Overcome and lighting candles and going to different events as a youth. And my father was an influence but in a different way. I I told myself that I'm going to grow up to be just the opposite of my father. My Once my parents got divorced, it kind of, uh, my father and mother, my father became an absentee father. Mm-hmm. And I was determined not to be like him. It wasn't, however, it wasn't until after his death and talking to my aunt, his sister, that I realized that my father, I knew he was a Vietnam veteran, but he had a lot of demons, uh, uh, some issues and challenges, mental issues that I wasn't aware about as a kid mm-hmm. that I did not learn until after his death that caused him to be absent from the home. So I had no idea that his time in Vietnam caused him to have challenges that caused his challenges to have an impact on the family. So I was angry at him without even knowing to be angry at him. So I mm-hmm. said, no, I'd never be like that man in my life. But then after my aunt, his sister told me what was going on. I said, well, why y'all never told us anything? He said, well, we thought you knew. <laughs> I I said, so know. I'm angry at this man for something that he had no control over. Mm-hmm. And I can't have time to mend that anger of the man the bridges because he's dead and gone now. So lesson learned, you know. But I, I was young and he was absent and I was 
mad and I held that grudge in my heart with him until the day he died. And not knowing that Vietnam was the reason behind his mental challenges. Challenges, right. Speaking of challenges, did you have any challenges while you were in high school? Oh, I had challenges in elementary and high school. You know, <laughs> Can you explain as, to us? As known today in our society, kids today have, I believe, ADHD or HDD, those type of uh, uh, hyperactive issues. I didn't have none of that. I had BADD. Mm. I was just a bad kid. Not mm-hmm. too bad, bad, but I had some behavior issues, and that contributed to the divorce of my parents. The absentee of the father in the home caused me to act out. I was so angry as a child because mm-hmm. my father wasn't there. I began to act out in school, and because I act out in school, I lacked those basic skills, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I lacked those skills in school, and because I lacked them in early education, I lacked them in high school. Although my behavior changed by the time I got to high school because I became more mature in life. So my behavior changed in life. But I did just enough work in high school to get by, to graduate. Just enough. And knowing that I wasn't going to college, just I was going to flunk out of college, I went to the United States Marine Corps, which probably was one of the best decisions I could have made in life. Uh, it gave me the discipline I need. It gave me mm-hmm. the direction I need. And it prepared me for leadership role, although I didn't go for the intent to be prepared for anything. I wanted to get away from home because I was so poor in my own mind, as we consider financially poor. And I had my own challenges and issues that I wanted to get away. And I went to the Marine Corps, which I'm glad I did, because it developed me for my uh, leadership role as the fire chief today. I didn't know that at the time because I was 17. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and it prepared me for uh, just basic life in general. Now, I struggled in elementary school and high school academically, but today, uh, by the grace of God and grandma and prayers and what mm-hmm. other people done for me and helped me out, I have my associate degree in fire science technology. I have a bachelor's degree from Georgia State University in human resources and policy studies. I have a master's degree from Columbus State University, Master of Public Administration. I went to the Harvard Executive State Local Government Program, it's a three-week program at Harvard University. I attended the National Fire Academy. It's a four-year program where I received my Executive Fire Officer designation. Uh, so because of my, I didn't allow my past to stop my future from being successful. Of course, I have a lot of help on the way. The rigors of joining and being in the Marines, is it what we see on television to be all you can be? I think it's more than what we see on television to be more than you can be. It's the brotherhood and sisterhood you receive from the military itself. Mm-hmm. But the Marines, I believe, now I can't speak on the other military branches because mm-hmm. I have no experience in those branches except for the Navy. But the Marines, I believe, uh, it's not only one of the best fighting for. And I noticed I said one of the best fighting mm-hmm. for because we all are great in our own ways. But the brotherhood and sisterhood, I'm speaking on the brotherhood because I didn't serve in the latest in the Marines. But the brotherhood that, that we had in my unit, it still exists today. We have a member from my platoon, and I was in there from 82 to 85. I called yesterday, because the word got out that he have a atrial fib, mm. a heart condition, he's in the hospital. So I called him and said, hey, I'm gonna call his name on the radio. I said, hey, you know, brother so-and-so, man, get out that bed, quit faking, because we got our <laughs> reunion coming up in October, and we gotta have you there. Mm-hmm. And just to hear his voice and his excitement, he was just happy that I called him. 
But I'm not the only one to call him. So many of our Marine brothers is calling him just to encourage him mm-hmm. to do what he needs to do to get better. So it's it's I even today I encourage those members <clears throat> in our community who are not going to college or have a job waiting on them, uh, need a change of life, need to get that foundation to go to the military, regardless of what branch, we'll go to the military. And then come out and seek your career. Were you involved in athletics? And the reason I ask audience that Chief Baker is like 6'6". Six, six. So did you play basketball or football or run track? I played at basketball. <laughs> I played at football. I went to the track meet. <laughs> you know, I was absolutely terrible. I'm six foot six, and you think I can play until they throw the ball at me, and then everybody said, don't worry about him. <laughs> I'm just tall. Uh, no. And, uh, and I'm glad you asked that question because as you think about it, I remember as a kid saying I wanted to play professional basketball. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a time of Dr. J. You know, everybody want to be like Dr. J. Then everybody want to be like Michael Jordan. Now everybody want to be like LeBron James. So I want to be like Dr. J. Didn't have a clue I was not good enough to even be the water boy on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And I said it because, you know, you really have a better chance, I believe, in being a doctor or lawyer or radio personality right. than you have been a professional. A uh, ball player, you know, if you apply yourself. So, yeah, I, I can play. I thought I could, but I can't play. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It wasn't in my DNA. I, I was just tall, and that's all. Yeah, yeah. This is In Black America. We'll be back with more of our conversation in a moment. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio. We're speaking with George J. Baker, Fire Chief for the Austin Fire Department. Chief Baker, what led you to a career in firefighting? Uh, totally accidental. Mm-hmm. Totally accidental. I had no desire to be a firefighter. None whatsoever. Actually, as a kid, you know, I was fascinated by the garbage truck, the big mm-hmm. trucks. You know, mm-hmm. But what five-year-old, six-year-old boy not fascinated by dump trucks and big trucks? And right. I was one of the kids. But it wasn't until after I got out of the Marine Corps uh, and I enjoyed my time uh, as a public service in the military. Actually, I was glad to go to the Marine Corps and I was glad to get out. But it wasn't until after I got to the Marine Corps, I went to the police department to apply. And I was, I mean, I was a frog hell away from getting in mm-hmm. to, to, to fight the police department. And I'm sitting there talking to the recruiter. He said, yeah, you know, you're going to be in the class about three months from now. Just don't get in no trouble. You're going to be in, yada, yada. And man, I said, right down the spot, I said, nah, I'm not going to do that. I changed my mind. He said, why? I said, you know what? I said, I, know, I have a lot of friends who selling drugs and doing this and doing that. And I said, I'm from Atlanta. And this Atlanta Police Department. I said, I'd be locking up all my friends. I said, I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. He said, then you need to go to the fire department. Okay. And I went to the fire department. <laughs> 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 and I applied. And it took about two years for me to get hired with Atlanta, so I went to East Point Fire mm-hmm. Department. I understand and I that started is. a small, worked at a small department, fire station. Then Atlanta called me like two years later. I just forgot all about Atlanta. They called me like two years later, and I joined Atlanta Fire Rescue Department. But my initial goal was not to be a firefighter, and I'm glad I went that way because I, I just hope that I have done more for the fire service than it has done for me. And folks that don't know about Atlanta, East Point is out there by the airport. It's right there by the airport. It's near the airport. Right. It's right outside the walls of Atlanta. I mean, it's a stone throw away. When one joins the fire department, 
and we're talking about Atlanta before we get to Austin, what are some of the things that one goes through? Well, the application process it's a long process, and they ask you questions like, "Have you ever done drugs before?" Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it be marijuana, heroin, whatever drugs it is, uh, you had to take a drug test, a physical test, a polygraph test, background check where they run your fingerprints. They check with your family and friends, your neighbors, to see what type of character you have. Let's see, uh, you had to have a high school diploma or a GED. You cannot have a felony. You have to be uh, either a U.S. citizen or have a green card to work in the United States. And uh, then you go to the physical training, and the training is rough. I was going to ask you about the, the physicality of the job. I don't care. <laughs> it's my belief whether you go to the Austin Fire Department or any fire department, you're going to go to some rough training. you got to be mentally and physically ready for the training. We were speaking before we started this interview. You said the first group of firefighters in this country were in Atlanta? No, no. Not the first group of firefighters in this country. The first group of African-American firefighters hired in okay. Atlanta was okay. hired April 1st, 1963. Now, April 1st was April Food Day. Right. So it's my understanding that the, at that time, I have not verified this, but at this time, it was a local newspaper put in the paper that Atlanta hired its first Negroes firefighter with a joke, April 1st. Now, I don't know that's true or not. That's why I didn't say what newspaper. I was told it was from because mm-hmm. I can't verify yeah, that. Right. But I wouldn't deny that happened. And I had I was fortunate enough to be able to meet about five or six of those first firefighters hired in nineteen sixty three because they was there when I was there. And I was they was able to sit me down and talk to me about some do's and don'ts of the fire service. And I to this Can day I'm Can you express some of those do's and don'ts? Uh yeah. Uh everything's not about black and white. It's about wrong and right. Mm-hmm. Don't walk around with a chip on your shoulders. Don't be always angry. Study hard. Study, study, study. Don't fall. Don't get hoodwinked on the job. Go to school. Get your degree if you want to get to the next level. Go to paramedic school. Become an EMT, immersive medical technician mm-hmm. or paramedic. Because they saw that the fire department was changing from, changing from fighting fire to doing more medical call. Get certification that you can use to enhance your knowledge, skills, and abilities, such as hazardous material, confined space, uh, water rescue, get some specialties up on your belt. Don't be complacent on the job. Move around within the organization. You know, go to a staff position. I did. I went to training. I went to an Office of Professional Standards, or known as Internal Affairs. Uh, I worked in Homeland Security for the fire department. I worked just about everywhere in the fire department, and Atlanta Fire Rescue Department. And so having that conversation with them, it opened my eyes up. I'm thinking that they would be bitter. Mm-hmm. You know, but, not but they the wasn't case. bitter. And I think each generation has learned to handle what's given to them for that particular time. Mm-hmm. You know, because some of those, keep in mind, the first African-American firefighters, whether it be in Atlanta, Austin, or New York, wherever, they go on to work with the African, in the African-American community. And you can only imagine how they was treated by the members of the fire department and or the members of the community. Now, I, I, I would go to say that not all the members of the department or all the members of the community mistreated those trailblazers, African-American mm-hmm. firefighters, because without the support of the community, and not necessarily only the African-American community, the white community, Latino, Hispanic community, whatever community it is, there would not have been a first of nothing. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't have, we African-American, we didn't have the power and resource, I believe, I may be wrong, at that time, to get these jobs. We had to give some, do some give and taking. And so it took a lot of people outside, I believe, the African-American community, to help us break those barriers to get into certain positions. And so 
As the fire chief of Austin Fire Department, I do not take that for granted. As the former fire chief for the Civil Atlanta, I do not take that for granted. So it's my duty and responsibility to pay it forward. What was it about Austin that excited you to become the next fire chief? I heard you was here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they told me about you. I said, I got to go meet that guy. No. I was sitting at home. I had retired from the Atlanta Fire Rescue Department. I was retired for about 10 months. And just sitting around the house doing nothing. And I told myself, Seth, if you don't get up <laughs> off this couch, you'll be dead in five years. Or you'll have diabetes. Or you'll be 300, 400 pounds. Or this mm-hmm. will happen to you. That will happen to you. You got to get. And I was 53 years old. 5'3". 53. Mm-hmm. So I was still young enough to get back into the workforce. And I needed to get in uh, at the time that I did for my own health and benefit. Plus my daughter, uh, who's now will be 15 Sunday, she speaks Spanish, French, and German, read and write fluently. Mm-hmm. And she said, Dad, I want to go to Cambridge, Cambridge University in England or Stanford University in California. I said, why do you want to go to school? I said, I want to get away from you and Mama. <laughs> I want to get away from y'all. I want to mm-hmm. do something different. And I said, man, I got to go back to work because those schools <laughs> going to cost me more than my pension is paying me. So I got to go back to the workforce so I can be able to provide, have the resources that my daughters need for her education benefit. And plus, I need to go back to work. You know, uh, I've been told by some of my colleagues and friends in the fire service, you know, Chief Baker, you, you still have a lot to offer the fire service community. You know, you got to get off the couch. Besides thinking about my health, you know, getting sick and whatever, you got to go back to college. I mean, go back to um, get back in the workforce. Work, work. So here I am. I love it. Austin, oh my God. Man, I tell you what, I am blessed, mm-hmm. highly favored to be the fire chief for Austin Fire Department. What a great city and a great department. We were talking again prior to the interview about a good friend of mine and now you, uh, Marvin Douglas, one of the first African American firefighters here in Austin. What was it like when you first met him and had that conversation? To me, me and Mr. Douglas, I had to really get my composure mm-hmm. together. Because I met Mr. Douglas through a person named, uh, I think it was Albert Walker, mm-hmm. who was a firefighter with the Austin Fire Department, Mr. Walker. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Mr. Walker about, you know, a couple of things, you know, where the bones are buried, and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it helped me reach out to the community, the various community, and, and give me some dudes that don't, you know, uh, how, to, how to survive in Austin, how to survive on the fire department. So Mr. Walker was just, I mean, I tell you, I, I owe him a lot, Mr. Okay, Walker. right. Um, and then he was talking about, I, no, I think I asked him, or he shared with me the history of the fire department, mm-hmm, including mm-hmm. the African-American firefighter. And I think he said, oh, by the way, Mr. Douglas still lives. I said, what? It's about, mm-hmm. I think, 93 or 90 plus years old. He's 92, I think. I said, is. well, can you introduce us? i like for him to pin my badge on me. He said, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll take care of that. I said, well, will you bring him? Because I know he's not driving at eight. Right. See, I pick him up. I bring him down for you. Y'all can meet. And so Mr. Uh, Marvin Douglas pimped my badge on me. And I did that. And I told my wife and daughter, I said, look, I need for Mr. Douglas, who was the fourth right. African-American hired for the Austin Fire Department, to pin my badge. Traditionally, your wife or your daughter mm-hmm. or your child would pin it on. Right. But I told him, it's important to me that he do it. And I believe it would be important to the African-American community as well to him to pin my badge. you know, Because it's an honor to pin a badge on a right. public servant person. So it was an honor for me 
to have him present to pin my badge on for me. I, I mean, I almost had to get my composure. <laughs> I want to get my composure now because when you think about the struggles that the trailblazing did for you, mm-hmm. it's important to pay it forward because Dr. King Jr., he, has, he did not benefit from the struggle he went through. Right. Rosa Parks, she didn't benefit. Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and, and even the present-day heroes and sheroes of our society, for the most part, did not benefit from the lumps and bumps they took. Right. So it's important for the future generation to appreciate what they did for us and to pay it forward. So I just thought it was more appropriate for Mr. Douglas to pay my badge on. Because people say, oh, you're the first African-American fire chief hired in Austin. I said, well... Uh, yes, but no. Mm-hmm. The first African American by chiefs are those first African American that was hired. Mm-hmm. They was now it's 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 a parable I'm trying to say here. <clears throat> they was the first without being the first because they right. set the way. Mm-hmm. Without them, it would not be five chief Joel Baker. Mm-hmm. You know because they proved to society that African American can serve as firefighters. So all the minorities who are first really prove to the world that not because of a person's skin cutter, but because the character mm-hmm, and their right. hard work, they should be allowed or given the opportunity to, to, to participate in the various society events and stuff that take place. Chief Baker, throughout your career, what has technology done to improve you all efforts to fight fire? Well, we no longer use horses and buggies. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we don't no longer use steam engines. So, mm-hmm. but but other that uh, beside the fire apparatus we use now, and there's many different types of fire apparatus we use. Uh, we have thermal imaging cameras. We use. We have different has hazardous material known as hazmat equipment to help us determine uh, some of the uh, chemicals that we respond to. Our medical Technology we use in the medical field help us save lives mm-hmm. on the medical calls. You know, speaking of that, in the early 60s, uh, but even before then, Benjamin Franklin is the father of uh, the fire service. You know, his vision was to have a fire station. I'm quite sure he didn't call them fire station in the early mm-hmm. 1700s, uh, late 1700s, but to have a fire station in all the neighborhood. But now, for, and during the 60s and before, uh, the fire service basically did only fault fires. Then the 70s came along. We got into emergency medical service. Then the 80s came along. We took on hazardous material. Then the 90s came along. We got into technical rescue, such as rope rescue, confined space, trench rescue, water rescue. Now, here we are in 2000, and the fire department is doing not only doing special operations, but the fire department is engaged in homeland security. So I'm quite sure Ben Franklin had anything to know about no EMS or rope rescue or homeland security. But here we are today, engaged with homeland security. So there's so much different technologies out there. And our fire prevention is so engaged. And the fire codes uh, make sure the buildings are safe, not just for the occupants, but for the firefighters that got to go in these buildings. Mm-hmm. Not having wood shingles on your home because right. a fire going to spread and then your roof catch on fire, then your house catch on fire. So things of that nature. So there's a lot of technologies out there that has enhanced. And the technology is always improving in the fire service. With the growth of the population, and, and particularly here in Austin, is, is a growing town and it looks like, you know, everyone's coming here from, from everywhere. How is that a challenge for you all to keep up managing the neighborhoods but also putting fire services in these areas? Well, one thing, the city of Austin 
is very fortunate to have a forward-thinking uh, city manager by Spencer Cronk, mm-hmm. uh, Mayor, Honorable Mayor Adler, and Mayor Pro Temp Gaza, and all the other ten council, nine council members who not just think about public safety, but they understand what's important for the community as relates to the fire service in the community. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can I sit here and say that? Well, think about it. Austin Fire Department is the highest paid fire department in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Austin Fire Department will receive five new stations over the next five years. By 2025, I believe it is. Five new stations. We have 49 stations right now. We just opened a station in Onion Creek area. I say that because we're going to close to get 50 five, fifty, six fire station in the future. Totally, we have 49 now. So the fire station are strategically placed throughout the city so we can respond to these calls, even with high traffic area. Okay. On top of that, council approved the ordinance to put four firefighters on area apparatus. Austin, Texas Fire Chief Joel G. Baker. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, Email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio. In Black America and KUT Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters helping to bring diversity to the airwaves. You can find more shows like In Black America in the NPR Network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Do brain games really make me smarter? What is all this screen time doing to my brain? How do I protect my brain as I age? Find the answers to life's most and least pressing questions about your mind with the Two Guys on Your Head podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.